Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this week's episode, I am talking with Dr. Rachel Rooney. Rachel is a GP by background and now specialises in providing lifestyle medicine and advice. So I connected with Rachel on Instagram. She posted a post about leaving the NHS and it was so well written, had loads of responses. And I felt like this would be a really good topic to cover because I know lots of people will be able to relate to the experiences and feelings of when it's time to move on and take your career in a different direction than you initially thought. Rachel shares with us her specific reason for leaving the NHS. So in this episode, Rachel talks about the push and pull factors which led to her stepping out of her general practice. We also talk about the doctor title and how important it is to Rachel, whether she's going to be using it or not. And we talk about the importance of putting yourself first and saying no and not feeling bad about it and managing your time and managing your energy and listening to your thoughts and managing your mind. I really, really enjoyed it. It's really thought provoking. And I think whether you love your job, whether you are feeling like, is this for me? Is this what I thought it would be? Am I compromising the things that makes me happy? I really do believe this episode will make you think and make you ask questions of yourself and it'll either confirm, yep, I'm good. Or it'll make you think "Mm, maybe some things, maybe I need to explore things a little bit deeper. So I really hope you enjoy it. I would love it if you could share it and I'll see you in the next episode. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Thank you for inviting me. I'm Artar. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So our paths crossed on Instagram. You posted a post on uh, leaving the NHS and it really struck me. I really appreciated your honesty and I just thought it was written so well. And I've got lots of friends that are thinking of leaving or have left the NHS or temporarily or permanently. And I just thought it would be really nice to get you on the podcast because I think you have gone through or and are going through an experience that lots and lots and lots of people can relate to. So could you share with us a little bit about who you are and what you do today? Mm, Thank you. And so I'm a GP 
by background. So I was working as an NHS GP on the retention scheme for a couple of years sort of through the pandemic. And then it was the spring of this year that I made that post that you were referring to, which is always a bit nerve wracking, I think, putting something out there. And I had only joined Instagram November of 2021, uh, 2020 as a sort of new thing when I was thinking about starting to go in a slightly different direction with more lifestyle medicine work. Um, so I did my lifestyle medicine diploma last year. Um, and so that's the sort of direction I'm I'm going in now, really. But I've always been quite interested as a GP in sort of mind, brain, body interactions. I did neuroscience as my sort of master's and spent some time in psychosomatic medicine research as an internship in the US and so sort of how different healthcare systems work really. So why did you feel the need to share it, share that you were going to leave publicly? Mm, It's an interesting one, isn't it? I think maybe part of it was the, well, I'm on Instagram now, I'm on social media, you know, and there is this (laughs) kind of like peer culture there, I suppose, isn't there, sharing things that you're going through. So part of it was perhaps feeling, you know, that I should, I should, you know, be authentic and upfront. But I think also part of it was perhaps cathartic in, you know, I think writing something down and trying to explain your reasons for something to other people, especially when you're not quite sure what the reaction might be, really does get you to think them through yourself and kind of Mm. be kind of confident with that decision that you're making. So I think that was a part of it too. Yeah. I had my friend, um, a lady called Carmen come on. She's a cardiologist. She's based in Texas. And that podcast is called Thoughts About Leaving Medicine. So she, we have lots of conversations. It's like, she's not quite happy that there are benefits, you know, like she does love seeing her patients, but it's just not how it used to be. And it just feels like it's getting harder. How long did you sit in that stage of I'm thinking of leaving, but I'll just stick it out a little bit longer? Talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So I've been thinking perhaps over a year or so beforehand about whether the practice specifically was a good fit for me. And there were quite a lot of factors involved with that, really. I've come back to general practice on the GP retention scheme, which you know I think is a really fantastic scheme on paper. It's got lots of benefits for kind of PCNs and partners in terms of financial incentives and also for doctors who perhaps have other commitments and things going on to give them a more kind of protected and supported workload. And so obviously the practice were very supportive in that regard. But I was living and working in the same area, which I know some old school GPs love. And it used to be the norm, you know, going back kind of 20, 30 years ago. But I'm not sure it's necessarily for me that kind of slight lack of boundaries between personal and work life and I think also a few other things having trained service at Oxford and then I went to London for my sort of junior doctor hospital jobs and then moved down to a village on the south coast in Hampshire and so the particular practice I was working at the demographic definitely a sort of older demographic which could be really interesting in general practice but also I perhaps missed a little bit looking after my younger working families and a little bit more diversity sort of socioeconomic and kind of cultural and ethnic diversity so I had sort of been wondering whether it was the practice for me long term and then I think when the pandemic started something like that can obviously bring out the best in people and organizations can also maybe highlight some of the cracks potentially and I think um, perhaps a feeling particularly working in an organization like the NHS where you don't always feel that you have that much control necessarily that there are lots of 
factors um, and things outside of your control with sort of resourcing and budgets and other services that you need to to use it really sort of highlighted some of that and I think it was challenging time for lots of GPs really so there were some of those sort of push factors of not really quite being happy where I was but then feeling you know this is a difficult time around now isn't the time to be making a decision so I sort of had in my head you know I'm going to keep at it I'm going to stay where I am um, I did my lifestyle medicine diploma started kind of incorporating more of that into my NHS practice as much as I could we sort of did some group consultations for our patients with diabetes and things like that. And I was really feeling that I wanted to be doing more of that. So that was a bit of a kind of pull factor of, you know, getting me to want to do more of that. And in a way that I could set up how long I would have, you know, with my clients and how frequently I would see them in a way that I haven't really figured out how I can sell that to a sort of CCG of me doing that. But, you know, I'd love to be able to provide it on the NHS as well. And then I think, um, as with most things, there's probably a final kind of trigger or sort of push point. And I think for mine, it was probably sort of in the gear up to my appraisal and revalidation. It was time to do a multi-source feedback, which for those who aren't sort of doctors might not have had the experience. But it's when your colleagues get to sort of anonymously comment on sort of different parts yeah. of your practice and professional behaviour. And some really lovely kind of comments about clinical skills and interactions with patients. But it was also interesting because some of my colleagues expressed a bit of displeasure that I hadn't been volunteering to do more work during the pandemic. And when I saw that, it was sort of mixed emotions, really. I mean, everyone was in their own situation and some people felt able to take on more work, which is fantastic. I suppose with my setup... My twins weren't school age. They were at preschool, which was closed. We were all ill quite early on. My husband normally works overseas. He'd been through lots of airports in March 2020. So I think he brought it home to us pretty early. I had quite a lot going on. And obviously on the retention scheme, I was a part-time worker, wasn't the main earner in our household. He needed to keep working. The schools were closed, you know. So from my perspective, still doing my regular sessions, was a challenge and was me kind of working in the way I felt able to give but then feeling that there was perhaps a perception that wasn't enough but on reflection sort of made me feel sometimes working in an organization like the NHS nothing an individual can give is really ever going to be enough I could be working 10 sessions as a volunteer and still there would be pressure on appointments and patients unhappy and it might not be enough so that was probably one of the things that really committed me but actually you know that's fantastic because otherwise I think you can kind of be in limbo a bit kind of swirling around a decision but not going for it and at that point I hadn't lined up any private clients I you know didn't really know exactly how I was going to go forward but Luckily, my appraiser was really supportive and really helpful in the appraisal process. So kind of talked it through with her, um, talked it through with my husband, who was really supportive as well. He has a bit of a healthcare background, but in a completely different country. So he has his own opinions, I'm sure, about the NHS. Um, <laughs> and, that, and that kind of clinched it just before Christmas. But then I had to work out my three-month notice because they did want me to... Yeah. To do that. So that that was an interesting, uh, interesting time. Mm. Could I ask your appraiser? 
Is that person in or outside of your practice or was that outside of your practice? And that's pretty much how how the setup is. So they're supposed to be able to give you a bit more of a sort of independent kind of confidential space to discuss things. But actually, as it happened, we were talking about the medical world being small, weren't we? My appraiser um, was a local partner, so I did sort of know them professionally, but it was really helpful to get their take on things and the comments. And they couldn't really quite read what the agenda if there was any was behind them either so yeah it's helpful to get someone else's take and I suppose I'm assuming that that's hard to see because I think everybody you think you'll give you know like you'll we all give as much as we can give but we had a conversation before we started recording and it sounds selfish and it is selfish and it's a good thing you have to look after yourself and you shouldn't have to explain you know so much of what you know like as long as you're doing your fundamental job if people want to do more they can do more and if people don't want to be to do more but they're doing their job to the highest standard then that should be enough it should be and it's and I think there are different phases of your life and career for example as well aren't there because I was on this retention scheme um I had three children under three briefly which was a sort of <laughs> rationale for having twins it's very efficient that was a sort of rationale for being on the scheme and my husband used to work overseas so he was away for two weeks of the month so there are a few reasons you know behind that but of course I can appreciate it. if I were a partner I would be wanting everyone to be giving above and beyond but I think even before the pandemic there were probably a few other things that had sort of happened so Really tragically, a little girl at my twins' preschool died from sepsis unexpectedly in um, February before the pandemic kicked off. So I think I was already probably slightly in the mindset of what are the important things in life. And I mean, when it comes to work, ultimately, we're replaceable. You know, there are locums out there. There's someone else you can step into your shoes. Your patients will probably miss you for a while. And, you know, I've had some lovely comments and patients that I bumped into sort of in the village and things like that that sometimes you probably do need to focus on what's right for sort of your family and you and the other thing with the pandemic is you know life is short we had patients in their 40s die so yeah sometimes but um but as you say there's always this feeling sometimes perhaps of guilt or that you are being selfish but I've had some coaching so I'm good at working through those now so you mentioned you still live where you work or where you worked do you feel now you're out of it what is it like when you walk past your practice how do you feel it's a strange one um because obviously my children sort of would point it out they'd be like oh that's your practice mummy and so on the one hand they were really proud of me you know being a GP and would often point out to other passers-by mummy works there she's a doctor um (laughs) but then on the other hand they like me not working at the moment and sort of doing every school pickup and every bedtime and sort of structuring my current setup so I've got that level of sort of flexibility and control and the school holidays aren't a sort of headache explosion of everyone else's Mm -hmm. trying to accommodate each other's needs for believe and um, so it's an interesting one so it's probably sort of mixed emotions going past and sort of wanted to keep things a bit open so like oh well you know maybe I'll come back in locum sometime you know maybe I'll help with the teaching but actually I've had a few months of just not doing any NHS GB work which I think was helpful to sort of decompress slightly from it. Was is being a doctor part of your identity or just what you 
did or just what you do for a job? Yeah, that's a really complicated one, I think, isn't it? I mean, most people describe it more as one of those things that's a vocation than just a job. I suppose in some ways when I was talking about sort of potentially needing to be a bit boundaries and, you know, have a job plan and be on the retention scheme, perhaps you can go through phases of treating it like a job perhaps um and especially when you're sort of doing a portfolio gp type role and you're doing a mixture of different things perhaps some things you would take more as being kind of crucial to your identity and your values and some things as more a job and it might be something that sort of changes over time i think often doctors probably can have quite sort of perfectionist streaks or kind of wanting a bit of external validation to to give their kind of satisfaction so you know, kind of having patience can give you that sort of hit or or fix. And so I, I do miss that in a way. And it's interesting, you know, how do I think of myself? Do I still think of myself as a GP, even though I'm currently not working in general practice? And I, I think I probably do. So I think part of it's still yeah. a mindset. The friends who get in touch with med- medical advice are still still doing that. So they're obviously <laughs> still taking <fake> me <laughs> as a GP. And obviously, I suppose I'm just trying to think that I'm using my skills in a slightly different way for now. So more on the sort of like health promotion side of things, potentially kind of through social media and in the sort of lifestyle medicine aspect as well. So yeah, I probably in some ways do define myself um, as a doctor or a GP, whether that's a good or bad thing. So you've mentioned the GP retention scheme. For people that may not know about that, could you just briefly share um, what that scheme is about? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the sort of new version of it came in in 2016, but in some areas it seems to be much more widely known about than others. And certainly in Wessex, it seems to be quite popular. I think we've got the largest number of retainer GPs in the country. And it's a sort of package. You have to sort of apply and kind of justify why you want to go on the scheme. But the aim is to keep people in general practice who otherwise for sort of personal reasons, whether it's kind of other caring commitments, health or kind of coming up to retirement or, you know, just other career interests that they're pursuing otherwise might not stay in NHS general practice. So it sort of limits your number of sessions to four sessions a week on the scheme. And there are some restrictions that you can't do above a certain number of other sort of NHS locum shifts, but you can do other other kinds of work. So the background's really diverse. So sort of GPs who have a specialist interest role or education roles or CCG roles or a sort of otherwise might be retiring who go on the scheme. And the practice get um, £4,000 a year per session of funding. So up to £16,000 a year of funding, which is supposed to compensate for giving the retained GP a sort of more flexible job plan. So, I mean, there are lots of different ways it can be worked out, sort of annualised hours or sort of compressed sessions to try and fit around a school day, lots of examples. And it's supposed to be a sort of realistic workload to the kind of BMA definition of what a session is, four hours and 10 minutes. Obviously, sometimes things look good on paper, but the reality <laughs> not, but you know, it's for the retained GP in the practice to negotiate. And and there's also a little bit of educational supervision or kind of mentorship time and CPD allowance that's supposed to be incorporated as well into the scheme. So yeah, I think it's a, a really good idea. So you mentioned you're now qualified in lifestyle medicine. What lessons are you taking with you as you move forward into this new phase of your career? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, so I think 
obviously being a general practitioner, you see a bit of everything and anything. And you really get to be the kind of generalist. I think quite a lot of medicine now is so hyper-specialized, you know, even within, say, cardiology, you've got the heart failure cardiologist and the arrhythmic cardiologist. So coming from that background of still being the person who kind of deals with complexity and kind of can bring together lots of different things can be quite helpful because, you know, humans are complex. And when it comes to illness and wellness as well, there are quite a lot of things to kind of synthesize. And I think also seeing how different we are. So you can have two patients who have, you know, diabetes and their HbA1c numbers are the same, but their lives and their sort of journeys that they've gone on to get there are completely different. So telling them to both do the same thing, for example, just doesn't work. And luckily in general practice, you often, particularly in sort of smaller practices, really get the chance to know your patients and then their families, because sometimes people don't really quite make sense. And then you meet their sort of their partner or their parents professionally as well. And then you kind of put things together a little bit. So I think some of putting that together. So I'm quite keen to do some sort of lifestyle medicine work that is really going to help whole families as well and sort of working with parents, you know, for the kind of changes that they can make to have a kind of generational impact. Because I think that was one of the things I was just a little bit disillusioned with in general practice as it is that you're, you're sort of seeming a bit short-term with some of your work these days. You're kind of firefighting, you're trying to deal with the crisis and you're sort of lurching a bit from crisis to crisis. So I wanted to sort of try and be working in a kind of more preventative and more kind of proactive way going forward. But I think I'm definitely going to be able to kind of blend together some of those skills, hopefully. But there are lifestyle medicine physicians from quite a few different backgrounds which I think is really amazing sort of psychiatry emergency medicine so we probably all bring something slightly different to the the discipline. And when it comes to your self-management what lessons are you going to learn because I think when I first reached out to you it was really nice actually I can't remember what you said but it was essentially you know like I would love to come on but like not now and I just thought I, I really like it when people are clear you know like I really it's much easier for me when people are clear and I'm like okay how does a June sound I think you, most people want to come on straight away and you're like I'm doing this um when could I come on and I just thought it was really nice and I think it's really good when we set our boundaries and set our expectations of ourselves because I think you mentioned it's really you're jumping well you're coming out of one um environment and you want to say yes to every opportunity. And then before you know it, people are you're frazzled. It's a bit like I left my first job to stop this feeling. So you are you are practicing what you're preaching. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And you never know how something like that is going to be received. But then you hope that actually it might filter a little bit. If someone had been like, oh, that doesn't fit my schedule. And I just would be like, well, thanks for the opportunity. You know, maybe our paths will cross in future. But actually your response was really quite different. So I think that's showed perhaps some ways we're kind of in alignment, alignment with kind of work-life balance. I think even the word balance is an interesting one, isn't it? Because balancing sounds like something you do when you're on a high rope wire and you're kind of constantly adjusting and juggling and it's all a bit precarious. So one of the concepts I've liked over the past year is, you know, rather than maybe balancing, maybe you're curating an exhibition of your life and some things are in the main room and some things are in the side room and some things are in storage and it's not a constant you know you don't rearrange the exhibition every day do you it's not like a constant thing but you yeah, know yeah. as things change you might want to bring something out or sort of put something 
away. So I suppose I was just quite conscious. Like you said, I wanted to say yes to every possible opportunity, but then I also didn't want to fill my calendar. And I wanted to just have a bit of time to kind of try and think a bit strategically, because sometimes when you're just in the thick of something, you can't really see that clearly, can you? Or know what direction it is that you want to go in. So, I mean, I've been really lucky and I appreciate not everyone can finish one job and take some time. You know, some people are going to be in different circumstances, but I was really lucky that I had the opportunity to to do that. I think just want to emphasise that point to our listeners. I think it's so important. And the other day, somebody presented me with an opportunity and it was really nice. It was amazing. And I said no. And then I sent that pastor text message and I felt really bad for saying no. And, and then, you know, like you start to justify it. And it's a bit like, I'm doing this and I'm moving house and I'm I'm training for a marathon. <laughs> like, And I just thought, Toe, you don't have to, you don't have to justify why you don't want to essentially help somebody else achieve their goals. I've got my commitments and I need to honour those commitments. And I think one of the things I'm working on is saying no and then not feeling bad about saying no. And There's one you... I like that's um, no is a complete sentence. Yeah. Say no. There's no. It doesn't necessarily Definitely. need anything. And I used to... I think because I'm self-employed, you say yes, you know, the more you say yes and you get more yeses and you kind of, you need to collect all of those opportunities for them to drop down the funnel. But what I've realised now is by saying no and delivering the best to my small pot of current clients, I do such a good job for them, then they refer me. So it's probably, it's a slower growth trajectory, but it's manageable. I enjoy it and most important, my clients, it's really important that all my clients feel like they're number one. And if I'm constantly saying yes, 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 yes to everybody, then it dilutes everything. And the person that, you know, the last person in is not going to be happy because they're going to think, well, she said yes, but I I can't see her. Where's the work? I love that. And it's been really interesting because obviously this is a steep learning curve working in the NHS to sort of have an employer and you know what's expected of you and then going out and starting a business. I've been like, so I've been trying to learn about of marketing, making a website, businesses. And a lot of the sort of teaching about business is very much like, particularly for the coaching industry, it's like go to group coaching, have an online course, you know, hustle, hustle, get the numbers. And, you know, that doesn't really fit with what I want to be doing either because I'm kind of doing this because I want to work really closely with kind of individuals and families to kind of take them through a bit of a journey to kind of transforming something that's really important to them, you know, an aspect of their health. Um, and optimizing it but then to try and kind of empower them to then continue and have momentum I don't want to sort of necessarily create any kind of dependency you know the sort of therapists who have people there for years and years so it's trying to find something that I think is a good fit for me sort of medically and kind of feeling ethical with the way I'm kind of doing business as well so that's not always an easy balance or sometimes it just feels like you're a bit out of the the loop of what other people are kind of approaching things from. I always say to myself, like just eyes down, just focus on what you're doing, Tara. I don't have group coaching. I don't have, I am working with um, a group of people on doing a course, but I was going to do a course myself and we started to set it up. And I was a bit like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this actually. You know, like who and am I being influenced? Would be right to do that or it might yeah. evolve into that at a certain stage and, you know there are benefits to the group sometimes obviously you get that kind of peer aspect and you yes. can kind of see what other people are doing but I suppose just having the freedom to actually 
do things in the way that yeah definitely I think I biggest advocate is like do what you want to do and and just know there are pros and cons to everything and everything's I would say everything's a test you try it if it doesn't work like just learn the lesson and just move on because you don't know that you're not going to like it until you try it and yeah so I would say I went down a stage of like growing this agency and I just thought, oh, just, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. So I think for anybody stepping into, you, you kind of start off self-employed and then you might get another person, get another person, but you just have to, to set off from the very beginning thinking about why did I leave my previous job to do this? That's like, put that, buy one of these really big pads of post-it notes and write that on. And when you get opportunities, it's like, am I saying yes, because I feel like I should say yes, or is it something I really want to do? Or am I scared? And just, you kind of, you can kind of self coach, or if you can't, then I definitely get a coach. Definitely. And I think if you don't really work on the mindset, you can leave one really high stress, feeling overwhelmed situation and just transfer that to the other situation that you kind of go into. You can't really necessarily kind of run away or escape if that's you know the zone that your mindset's in just changing your kind of circumstances doesn't necessarily change your behavior so sometimes there's yeah that work to be yes so yeah you cannot run away from your mind (laughs) like it's there all the time (laughs) way too fast but I, I think it's nice to you know think bigger as well and sort of the future direction and kind of being strategic I think ultimately you know I'd love to have a kind of physical space type clinic rather than just be doing kind of virtual stuff although it works for now and it gives Mm. you know the plus side that people can work with you if they think you're the right fit rather than geographically being constrained you know I'd love to have a physical clinic I'd like kind of retreats you know there are lots of other things some kind of research some kind of charitable work you know you can think big but also know that you can kind of pace yourself to Mm. to get there and what works for now isn't necessarily going to be how things stay it's, it's going to evolve over time so when thinking about self-care people use the term self-care I don't know if I really like it but what do you do to look after yourself now yeah it's an interesting one I think um self-care sometimes is like oh have a massage go on a spa day um which is nice I <laughs> but it's almost a little bit like is that like a sticky plaster you know do the sort of sticking plaster of some temporary nice experience if you're trying to escape from a really difficult situation so I probably identify more with the concept that you need to try and set up your life in a way that you don't feel like you need to escape from it into these kind of specific self-care activities try and just incorporate them more as part of your your daily life and you certainly don't want to be kind of really living for the weekend every week Although actually weekends are my really busy time with the children not being at school. But, you know, trying to think about the basics. And it's interesting because there are quite a lot of things that, you know, seem simple. It seems simple. Just make sure you're getting enough sleep. Make sure you're eating well. Mm. Make sure you're moving enough. They're not easy though, are they? Otherwise we would all be doing them. It's like common sense isn't necessarily always that common. So I think modern life just has a lot of temptations and a lot of fantastic things that... I suppose trying to really go back to some of the basics. So I think prioritizing sleep a lot more, which kind of takes self-coaching because often, you know, there's not a physical reason 
why I couldn't go to bed early if I manage my time or even the idea of managing your time. I like the idea of managing your energy rather than necessarily time because time's just going to pass anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Whatever you do, the thing you have control over is your sort of energy levels and where you're choosing to put your focus. But I think um, prioritizing sleep has been a really helpful, really helpful one for me and moving more. So I'm not really a runner, but um, definitely time walking and I like walking because you can kind of um stack up together some positives like time in yeah. nature which we know is really beneficial just kind of seeing trees and green space and I live by the sea so I'm really lucky that always helps yeah. it's just something so therapeutic just kind of paddling in the water hearing the waves so it's kind of like a sensory experience isn't it but there are definitely quite a lot of things that you know, instinctively seem like a good idea to do, but then doing the kind of lifestyle medicine diploma and seeing the evidence base and the kind of actual research that we now have behind a lot of them has been really enlightening. So I'm definitely trying to incorporate more of those. But, you know, I'm a work in progress. Like yeah, we all are. Everyone. Mm. <laughs> and I think that can be helpful because I think um, perhaps some um, lifestyle gurus, you sort of look at them and, you know, they're extreme. They're kind of vegan marathon runners. <laughs> And you just think, oh, you make it look so easy and so natural. And I think then we expect it to just be easy and natural to kind of be in optimum health. And that's not always the case, you know, because things happen outside our control. People can be unlucky. You know, there are just bad things that happen to good people health wise sometimes. But then there are things that we can control, too. So you want to try and take a kind of empowering stance to doing the things that you can and knowing that you're going to have obstacles, I think. Is important. So I lost a lot of weight in 2020, regained some of it, but I guess it's about not kind of beating yourself up and going into a kind of negative spiral because they actually say for kind of new habit formation and success at anything, one of the most important predictive factors is how you handle an obstacle because they're going to happen. It's just unrealistic to think you're going to have this perfect linear trajectory. So it's about how you, you handle things when they kind of drift off course a bit. When I'm looking to work with people you want to work with people and be around people that you can relate to so you don't want somebody that's perfect or that you perceive to be as perfect because that would be really really annoying you know like I do this a bit of inspiration a bit of inspiration but it's like we all live in this modern life and there's lots of temptations and if yeah none of you know the NHS wouldn't be the NHS if we all had a perfectly balanced diet and we all did you know the correct number of minutes of exercise and we meditated and all of that stuff and I think it's I've got a health coach and Helen's coming on to the podcast and it's just I think for me what I'm looking in my looking for in my health coach oh and a coach is just somebody lightly there just helping me and somebody to give me that sounding board and for somebody to remind me of the things that I said I wanted to do because those are the things that make me feel good. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But sometimes I look at my bed and I think, get in it. And then I'm like, I don't want to. (laughs) Why do I not want to get in my bed? It's really, really strange. But at least I'm aware. At least I'm aware now as I wasn't before. You're right. Having the, you know, consciousness about your own slightly strange behavior at times <laughs> you know moving into consciousness and then the next step is um one of the things I found helps with bedtime is rather than waiting to get ready for bed once I've decided to go to bed I kind of get ready ahead of time and then I kind of continue doing whatever it is I'm doing sort of checking out mentally with a bit of trashy tv or 
whatever it is. But then when I make the decision to go to bed, then I don't have this added layer of now I need to go and brush my teeth and find yeah. my pajamas and that just kind of draws the process out. And also realizing that your natural sleepiness often kind of comes in waves. So sometimes it's almost like you sort of miss an opportunity and then you get a burst of energy and that's not yeah. necessarily saying it's okay stay up late you don't need sleep it's just your body's like oh, oh, you're not going I, to bed then better give you some more so um but yeah sleep is a an interesting one isn't it I like that so I think the, the mistake I continue to make is I feel like I've missed my sleep window so then what's the point just stay up late <laughs> whereas <laughs> I will remember the waves analogy. Rachel, if people want to get in touch with you, where is the best place to connect with you? Oh, absolutely. So um, Instagram, like where we connected, um, is a good one. That's probably my favourite social media platform at the moment. Um, And I did set up a website too that kind of goes into a little bit more information really about what I'm kind of offering as a kind of lifestyle medicine approach in the health coaching. And I'm on LinkedIn as well, which is another new outside of comfort zone thing but sort of <laughs> professional connections you need to kind of put yourself out there really don't you so you can help people um and they're all dr rachel rooney so r-a-c-h-a-e-l and r-o-o-n-e-y oh thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me so much for joining us if you like what you hear I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review I know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn just look for Tara Humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do it's really really funny you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter letter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.